All right, welcome. We're back with a fresh episode of Food for Heart, joined by our dear brother Fish. How you doing? Doing good. Feeling good. Been on top of my morning routine, which adds a lot of value to the rest of your day in terms of how you feel. So I've been going for a morning run, swimming, doing some light weight exercise, and just trying to really add and maintain structure in my day as much as possible. And how structured have you been? Is it like I'm at the gym by eight o'clock, by nine o'clock I'm swimming, or is it more just like I'm consciously entering a zone of healthiness and intention to start my day? And one day that looks like a bike ride, another day it's a yoga class. What's that like? Uh, great question. And it's definitely the latter. Um, for a long time in my life, I was in this pure open space of flow and not really having any plan of what I was doing with my time or any real structure in my day. Um, then I got a job about six months ago, which forced me to have some structure. And I was getting up at like six in the morning every day, go to work, you know, I'd have my coffee and breakfast in the morning, really got used to this daily routine and to enough of an extent that it became ingrained in my conditioning. Uh, cause you can do these things for a few days and then it can go poof by, um, I recently quit the job I had and I'm going back to playing poker full-time right now, which leaves me in a somewhat undefined space schedule wise. Um, because a couple of nights ago I went and played poker and I finished at midnight. So I was home by 1230 in bed by one o'clock, you know, asleep by one, one wake up at eight or nine, something like that, and then get my morning going. Last night I was out playing till 4 a.m. So by the time I get home, you know, it, it varies what kind of hours I'm on. Um, so I let it be more of a, okay, I'm going to let my day or at least the second part of my day flow how it will in the best way for me. But then when I do wake up and I don't set an alarm because right now I'm experimenting with not <laughs> waking up to an alarm, which is great. Yeah. And when I do wake up, okay. Now I feed the cats. Now I drink my water, uh, make my breakfast, go for a run, uh, do some swimming, which I've been really tapping into those two things a lot lately of doing a light run and a light um, swimming in the pool in the morning, getting some sunlight and then making my coffee after that, hmm. which I'm sure you've heard a lot about. Probably a lot of people listening have heard about the benefits of waiting about 90 minutes to have your coffee in the morning. I was having it within nine minutes for a long time. Shout out to Andrew Huberman. <laughs> yeah, that's the guy. And so lately I have been uh, taking advantage of that like window before the caffeine intake and it feels good. I, I can't say a whole lot about it yet because you know, it's hard to parse these things and it's still kind of a new routine. But going back to your question, I definitely allow some amount of flow into my uh, structure and my, my routine. But as long as I'm getting an hour or so of active exercise outside and getting some sunshine directly and having a healthy breakfast, drinking ample water, having my coffee, which I put some other stuff in, some collagen and some Manuka honey and some mushroom supplements. So it's a little more than just coffee. And then I take care of the cats that I'm babysitting right now, which they've also helped me a lot with having structure in my life. Um, so yeah, it doesn't have to look a certain exact way, but the, the basic fundamental structure remains the same regardless of what time of day it starts or how it takes form. 
Yeah, it's interesting you say that about the delayed coffee, and it will lead into our bigger discussion today about addiction and external <laughs> reliance on substances and mm-hmm. ultimately avoiding and escaping. And as an example, for me right now, I'm very consciously, it's a strong word, but I'm going to use it, struggling uh, with my patterns and my behavior. So when I wake up, honestly, almost immediately, I want to have a coffee and a cigarette and go for a walk outside. And I've reached a point where I feel like that's not serving me and it's my past pattern. So it's very familiar and there seems to be a level of safety being experienced there. But in the bigger picture, it's not helping me get closer to alignment with my purpose and living an intentional life. So I've been waking up and like battling with my patterns and my behaviors and I have this desire to have a coffee and smoke a cigarette but then I have this voice in my head saying you know today's the day you're gonna overcome it and even if you just wait an hour later and do a little bit of reading first that's a big win and then I smoke the cigarette and have the coffee and it's not even really an enjoyment now it's through this lens of this is wrong, this is not what you should be doing. Bring shame into the picture. Shame and guilt that goes into it. And then I'm starting my day from this place. And I've really been stuck in a loop for the last few months. Um, I've been in a lower vibe And I haven't been creating things for the Army of Love project. I'm really grateful that we're doing this now because this is pulling me out of a a little bit of a hole. But just to, you know, get the audience up to speed a little bit, I've been feeling down. Um, You could say like doing shadow work, but really just like swimming in the shadows more than (laughs) really doing the work. And maybe that is doing the work. So... I want to give myself credit and not be like too hard on myself as well. But yeah, I started losing my inspiration and my excitement for life. And I've been in a relationship for the last year with an absolute just gem of a woman and human being. And a few weeks ago, um, we decided mutually that it would be best for us to go our separate ways. So it's really been an uncoupling process that I'm experiencing right now. And a lot of stuff is coming up for me and I don't feel vibrant. Um, I'm allowing myself to have this experience. I trust that it's the medicine that I need right now in my journey, but I've been in a low vibe and I've found myself hiding Um, I'm not proud of myself and everything I created for Army of Love was coming from a place of excitement and whether it was something vulnerable to share or a great track and good dance vibes, it was coming from, you know, a pure place. And now I feel this pressure of like, fuck, I'm not creating anything like I need to create something but it's, it's not there for me. So I've been in this sort of hibernation phase 
And in that hibernating, uh, a lot of darkness is coming up. And sometimes I sit with it, but more times than not, I'll make another coffee or I'll roll another cigarette. And this week I got weed, so I've been smoking a lot of weed. And I just feel that it's a padding of safety on a pain that's coming up. And I've sort of slipped into a life of avoiding that pain. And the awareness is just getting more and more clear. So in my avoidance, I'm not like blissfully, uh, ignorantly <laughs> blissful. Far from it. <laughs> yeah, life is great. I'm smoking a joint on my rooftop while the birds are flying around. Like that could be great in the right perspective. But I'm there like, this isn't what I should be doing, but I'm having trouble get out of it. So yeah, that's my process right now. And I think today's conversation will be refreshing for me and anyone who can relate to what I'm speaking about because in January was it January yeah yeah in January you I'll let you describe how you came to the the decision to take on this challenge in a way from that perspective but to really uh, step away from using drugs and smoking vapes and things like this and take a full month to be sober and what you experienced in that month was a story worth sharing so I'll stop I'll stop telling your story and why don't you start us off just by you know basically what I'm looking for is a taste of the pain that you were experiencing that led you to make this decision and to break the loop of these patterns. That was great. Uh, and first of all, thanks for sharing your darkness and being vulnerable and opening up about that. Uh, it sets the tone for this conversation. It allows me to feel more permission to have space to, to share what has, what brought me to the place where I felt like I was at, kind of a, a do or die that sounds maybe more serious than it was but but also not you know because death doesn't have to mean like this ultimate physical death like we are dying and being reborn all the time like every day essentially we have the opportunity to shed skin and uh change our habits change our way of being and how we show up um so i also think that guys like you and i are perceived as pretty positive happy you know, uh, outgoing, whatever positive um, adjectives you might use to describe a person. And and that's generally true. I think we're on the more positive side of the spectrum of emotions because we have a lot of gratitude, but especially you have been great about sharing a lot of your struggle and, and some of the challenges you've gone through and how those have affected you. And I haven't really opened up about those things as much in a in an open public way. Uh, partially because I don't create content the same way you do, but also I've felt a lot of shame about it. And it's it's really uncomfortable to talk about sometimes, uh, but ultimately we're all going through some form of this struggle. You know, the human experience involves a struggle. Um, I don't really know anyone, even my most successful friends have moments of depression and, and a lot of darkness that creeps in. So it's it, conversations like these that allow us to see that in each other and maybe carry each other through it a little more uh, easily. Real quick on that point, yeah. because yeah, this yeah. this happened the other day. Um, 
and thank you for for expressing so eloquently uh i was at the little market nearby and it's more like let's just say like a cafe and a guy i know from mexico city was there and he said hello and then we started chatting and i sat down with his group of friends and i was talking about music and i basically expressed and these are like five like spiritual entrepreneurs you know like people that are very much on the path and i was talking about music and i expressed how when i'm open like i can really relate to it and it flows through me and it inspires me and opens doors and it helps me when i'm depressed but it doesn't hit me the same way and i shared with the whole table that i've been feeling really blocked up lately and as a result the music isn't vibrating through my soul Mm. and seemingly everyone there who two minutes ago everything was surface level this is cool we're gonna go to the pool later everybody sunk in and related to that and it then opened a door for people to express what they're really going through and it just reminds me time and time again that like fuck like you have great moments in your life but for the most part everyone is going through something right now and i think that it's i'll speak for myself because everybody has different situations but it seems rare that we open up and talk about it and air out the room you know like get the energy moving a little bit and it it does sort of bring me back to what I feel my purpose is in this life. And it's to open doors to access your truth and to be able to express it and ultimately to be able to own it uh, and start to dissipate some of the shame that we're carrying around. So it's really nice to hear you, you know, speak about what we're doing here in that way, because that was the zone I was in for so long and I've just been hiding lately and I think a lot of it is shame and just discomfort but even now in the first 15 minutes of this chat I feel my pain as a source to maybe guide someone else and lead them on a path towards some light so that's what we're doing here um open the door for for vulnerability and i just wanted to touch on that because i had this moment the other day and it it just really hit me like damn we're all going through something (laughs) and we don't really want to be so we focus on the sprinkles on the top which can be light and fun but like damn we got to visit the deep roots if we're really gonna be you know living a full life that's how i feel Fuck yeah to all that. Um, and, and two things to sort of like tack onto that. One, everybody's experience is relative to their own experience. So someone that I see as ultimately successful, billionaire, beautiful wife, whatever the fuck you want to you know paint it as, they're living in their experience. They're not comparing their experience to mine, more than likely. And so their experience has a baseline. And that baseline is going to go like this at times. And so their baseline might look amazing on the surface and it might be amazing, but it's still going to dip from their baseline and they're going to have trouble more than likely when that does. And so the same way a homeless man on the streets 
can experience a dip from his baseline, so can an ultra successful top performer, whatever the fuck. So everybody has their own version of the struggle and we shouldn't undermine anyone's or compare them to each other. We can just, you know, share and hope that it might resonate with someone and give them the opportunity to see themselves in a different way. So I think that's something really important. And then two, we live in Instagram world of filters and perfection and everybody's doing great all the time. And look at my life that's shown in photos and stories that portray like this little bit of what is actually going on. So I know from my own experience, cause I've been on the portraying side of that, of not exposing all of what's going on with myself. And I try to be a little bit balanced with it and not be like, Oh, everything's great all the time. Cause it's not, but like on average, we see like such a pretty painted version of life for humans and the experience that we're all going through. And, and I think most people know that when they think about it, but it's important to remind ourselves and each other of that, what we see on the internet, the lives that we see on Facebook or Instagram or whatever the fuck is not really real life. <laughs> almost in almost every single case, there's a few people out there who share very vulnerably and authentically. You know, I feel like you're one of them who doesn't just hide the dark stuff and pretend it's all light and dusty all the time. It's yeah. We see a lot of shit through a really fucked up, super positive filter. Um, so that's why I'm even more grateful for a conversation like this, where we can talk about the dark side of reality. Um, so to circle back to the question and, and my story, I, to provide a little bit of pretext, uh, for the last two or three years, I had been really immersed in festival culture, house music culture. I, I truly genuinely fell in love with dance music and communities, uh, that are built around that and the arts community and festivals and Burning Man and all this stuff. There's so much beauty and we've touched on that. Um, there's so much magic in that world. And because I had made quite a bit of money playing poker and decided that wasn't really what was calling me anymore, I had a whole lot of space open up, up in my life for whatever I wanted it to be. I didn't really know what I wanted it to be. And that's how I found festivals. And that's how I found you um, was by going to all these events and at first I was very much going as a way to like find something to connect myself to or identify myself with and, you know, seeking something, um, not really just coming from this wholesome loving place, but like, I need something to fill the void in my life that I'm feeling right now because I was pretty depressed. I was not sure where my life was headed. I didn't feel like I had a lot of purpose. You know, I was a 30 year old man with no clear direction. I think that's a dangerous place for a man to be for anyone. But my experience is as a man, it was not pretty in a lot of ways. So with going to all those parties and festivals, I slowly became more aligned with drug use um, as it is with a lot of that world. And some of that was great and profoundly uh, enlightening, let's say, for lack of a better term, you know, I had my first LSD experience at a festival that opened my mind in ways that I could never, ever, I would never want to give up. Um, and so it's not all bad, but I definitely, over time, got more comfortable with using drugs on a regular basis and was not really like seeing it through a negative lens. I was like, oh, this is just what you do when you go to these things. And it's what everybody around me is doing. So there's a lot of enabling going on. And 
and it didn't feel like that bad of a thing. Um, even though obviously when you look at it on paper, it's like, whoa, this is a lot. So through those like two or three years, just kind of kept compiling and I kept, you know, using drugs more and more as a way to get high and not necessarily be present with my experience and really acknowledge like where I was at in my life. Um, if I could go to a festival or a party every weekend and, you know, roll my tits off or whatever, like I'm not going to be as in touch with maybe the challenges I'm going through that I need to really figure out how to address or the pain that I'm feeling about, uh, you know, a rough experience in my life, like losing my brother that maybe I still need to process. So I was escaping more and more. And it was interesting because I also was finding more genuine community and love and connection in that environment, which made it, again, not seem so bad because I was finding a lot of really beautiful things in that realm. But uh, long story medium, I got to a place where I was using ketamine all the time, which that's something that could have its own podcast. It's very popular right now. Um, it has profound potential to be used as a medicine in a clinical setting. I really believe that. I also believe that, believe it's kind of being bastardized and, and commercialized. And there's a whole marketplace being created around that. And it's not all pretty. Um, but it, it's a drug that doesn't have a whole lot of obvious downside. Uh, and it makes you feel pretty damn good. It relieves anxiety. It's antidepressive. It, it's kind of the perfect drug for someone who's going through some shit, but might not want to feel it. Um, it doesn't leave you like feeling shitty the next day, like if you take MDMA. Um, so I got to a place where I was using ketamine very regularly, like five days a week, a lot of the time um, at home, you know, just by myself. Um, really not how the, the relationship I want to have with anything to be doing something this often. And uh, I wasn't necessarily doing a lot of other drugs all that often because it's kind of hard to, in a way, like with acid or mushrooms, like those are such big experiences. I don't feel inclined to do those all the time. MDMA, I was doing more often than I would like myself to. Um, that's something I think that you got to really have a conscious relationship with. Uh, and I also started vaping nicotine at one point, which I've always hated cigarettes. I've always thought they were disgusting. I, I've always honestly been a little judgmental of people who smoke cigarettes. I'm like, why are you doing that? It's so gross. Like, there's no high. Why would you, you know, do that? And then one night I hit my friend's nicotine vape that have become all the rage. Uh, I was out at a party, hit it, had this like crazy body rush, head rush, the nicotine high that I'm sure gets people hooked as it did me. And I was like, damn, this shit's nice. And especially if you're already high, kind of like adds to that. So that got added to the mix of things I was doing regularly. I eventually quit that for a period of time, which quit is a funny word because like, if you don't quit it forever, like what does quit mean, right? Uh, I stopped doing it and then I started again. And so going into the end of last year to sort of lead more into where I'm getting with this, I was really out of hand with my drug use and it was partially concerned because of the potential physical, uh, you know, downsides of using substances all the time. There's negative impacts on the body from these things, especially nicotine. I think that's the worst thing that I was doing a lot of. Um, but more so that I was escaping from my present experience and my life. And I was 
working in a job because I had gotten to a point where I needed to make some money because I didn't work for a few years and I couldn't live off my poker winnings forever. And so I was depressed about now going from this pretty successful poker player with a good amount of financial freedom to I'm working like a day job, making not a lot of money. Like, what have I done with my life? How did I get here? A lot of those feelings were coming up and I didn't really want to have that conversation with myself and to confront the reality of like, this is just where I am right now. And I can either acknowledge where I'm at and take the steps necessary to move in the direction that I'd like to go, or I can just blind myself to it. I can get high in some form or another. I can get a quick dopamine hit from watching porn or hitting into team vape or whatever thing it is. And that can take me away from this feeling that I have about what's going on in my life. And it's interesting because addiction, when I was growing up, when you were growing up, I think there was a lot of association with being addicted to a specific thing. And it was like, oh, I have a weed addiction or I have a cocaine addiction or this and that. But it's much broader than that. Um, in my view, addiction is just, an, an it encompasses a lot and you can be addicted to anything, but that's just the mechanism by with which your addiction is, is manifesting. Um, so like Dr. Gabor Mate, I'm sure you've heard him speak, maybe some listeners, really fucking amazing guy who talks about addiction uh, and super brilliant guy. He's done a lot of podcasts and he talks a lot about this, how addiction is just this, this challenge, this like experience of wanting to escape and to get high or, or to get a dopamine hit. And it doesn't have to be a certain thing that gets you there. It's just the addiction itself to escaping from your actual reality. So I was addicted to getting away from my, my life. And so I was, I, I don't like to frame it as I was an addict or I was addicted to X, Y, or Z, but I was struggling with addiction um, in a major way. I was not sitting with my life and looking at myself honestly and being really objective about where I was at and where I wanted to go and how to get there. And so through the party community, it's really fucking easy to do that all the time. You know, especially in Miami, there's dance events and parties every night of the fucking week. So if you want to escape, like no problem, it's out there for you. And it all just kind of came to this point where I was like, man, what am I doing? Like, this is out of control. I don't like who I am right now. I don't want to be this person that is just in this vicious cycle of do drugs on the weekend, maybe even do drugs during the week, watch porn all the time, use masturbation as a crutch, you know, exert my energy in these really unhealthy and meaningless ways and just escape mindlessly from my life all the time. Um, and I'd had these conversations with friends, but it's not, it's a lot easier to talk about than it is to actually put actions into your life to do something about it. Um, and, and again, with addiction, it's interesting because the things that I was struggling with addiction to are not necessarily things that create physical dependency. You know, like uh, ketamine doesn't make me like, I'm not like, oh, I got to do a fucking K-bump. It's not like that. Um, weed, uh, psychedelics, MDMA, porn is a little bit cracky. I'm not going to lie. Sometimes if you have pent up sexual energy, it can, for me, it has been a little bit of a fiending mechanism at times in my life, but most of it is just this like, oh, I can get some dopamine or I can get away from this negative shit that's going on in my head. 
Um, so it's a lot more mental than physical in my experience. And it doesn't make it easier or more difficult. It's just, that's what it is. So I just got to this point. I was like, you know, I need to put a hard reset on myself right now. The only way I'm going to get out of this loop is to cut it all of it off completely. There's no way I can like tell myself this nice idea that I'm going to like, Oh, I'm only going to do this one day a week. I'm going to do that. That doesn't work for me. I've tried that method and it just isn't for me. Maybe it's for other people. I don't know. But I said, fuck it. I'm, I'm going to go sober for a little while. I'm going to cut all these external mechanisms out of my life and all these substances. I'm going to stop vaping because I really don't want to vape. Um, I'm going to stop doing ketamine because I don't mind doing ketamine, but I don't want to do it all the time. I want to save a lot of these things for a moment when it's actually really calling to me to have an intentional experience with something. Um, I had no notion of going sober for the rest of my life. Um, that doesn't feel like it's aligned with me, at least right now. Um, I want to be able to indulge in life for one, uh, when it feels right. Like I love cheeseburgers. I don't want to cut cheeseburgers out of my life forever, but I want to be able to sit down with friends and have a ketamine experience where we open up and share vulnerability with each other and go deeper into a conversation than we might have because our egos are a little bit more in the back seat. Or I want to have an LSD experience at a concert that is like profoundly affecting the way that I experience this music. And it's like this memory that I'll never lose sight of. I don't want to just be like shoveling things in because it's like making me feel better. Um, so that was really just this turning point of, okay, I got to cut it all off. I'm going to reset, so to speak. And I've always struggled a little bit with keeping accountability to just myself. I'm really good at justifying things or making stories up for myself that can relieve the shame that I might otherwise feel about the reality of what I've done or am doing. But I don't really have that same uh, ability when it comes to accountability to other people. So I realized, okay, I got to share this with someone. I, I can't just tell myself I'm going to do it. I don't think that's enough for me right now, which I don't, maybe that's weakness. I don't know, but it's just what I was feeling. And so I said, fuck it. I'm going to go on Instagram. I'm going to tell whoever's listening, maybe nobody, but it feels like people are, are receiving this message that I'm going to not do drugs and alcohol for the month of January. And I don't know what it'll look like beyond that. But in that moment, I'm going to make this very clear decision that if I partake in drugs or alcohol this month, I'm going to have to tell the same people that I told I was going to give these things up. And that's going to feel really, really shitty. If I have to lie to other people, like I can lie to myself sometimes and figure out a way to not feel bad about it but it doesn't feel good for me to lie to other people. It feels really, really, really shitty. So I said, if I share this on Instagram, it's going to make me feel a lot more accountable to it than if I just told myself in my room one day. So I did, I went on Instagram, posted a story. Hey guys, just wanted to share. I'm going to do sober January, which a lot of people do dry January already. So there's a little bit of energy already moving in that direction in January. I don't have a big problem with alcohol. I did include it in the things that I was going to give up just as a package deal. Um, I love drinking wine here and there, but I don't really like getting drunk. I don't really go out and get fucked up drinking, but it all plays into the same thing. So I was like, no drugs, no alcohol for the rest of January, figure out how it feels from there. I don't know what, you know, how I'm going to proceed afterwards, but that's what I'm doing. And I did, I didn't 
do any drugs or alcohol in January. I was even working in a restaurant where we did a wine tasting. And for the first time in my life, I spit the wine out after I tasted it, which I feel like is a crime against wine. Because normally I'm like, why would I spit this shit out? It's delicious. But I wanted to hold to my agreement with myself and with whoever might care that I wasn't going to drink and I wasn't going to take drugs. So the rest of January, I, I, I did party on January 1st. And then I made this announcement and agreement with myself the next day because January 1st, New Year's, you know, shit happened. Um, but moving on from there is when I made this agreement and I held to it. And it wasn't as difficult as I thought. And part of that is because there's not this physical dependency on these things. Um, it was at, at no point that I feel like, oh man, I really would love to get high right now. None of that creeped in. Um, I went out a few times dancing still because I really wanted to play with how it would feel to go to a party or a club and stay sober the whole time. Uh, like would I still like house music <laughs> without drugs? I did and I do. <laughs> I had a really good time the few nights that I went out. Uh, we went one morning to space at 6 a.m. after sleeping all night for DJ Tennis and Carlita. You know, partied like professional sober adults basically. A few of my friends had mimosas, but that was it. And uh, that felt really good to, to treat that experience that way. And it, yeah, I got through it. And the day after January ended, I felt no rush or sense of urgency to go buy a bag of ketamine and rip a line or, or to go out and, you know, take some mushrooms on the beach or any of these things. I, I didn't feel this, you know, this pull, this, this need to escape. I was really feeling back to a centered place and really good about the fact that I had stuck with this intention, which I like using the word intention instead of challenge. Uh, about these sort of things. We said challenge earlier, and I think we both felt a little bit weird about it. Um, I had an intention to remain sober during January, and I, I stuck to that intention, and I was impeccable to my word, to myself, and to others. And that feels really fucking good. And it doesn't have to be a big thing, but when we keep our word, it just it adds to this compiling goodness that we feel. You know, going back to what you were saying at the beginning, when you wake up and you say, I could go have my coffee right now, but I think I'm, I'm not, I'm going to wait. I'm going to, you know, be mindful about this. I'm going to be more intentional. And if you hold off for an hour and a half, it feels great. And the coffee is almost more rewarding, but the moment you go and have it right after that conversation with yourself, you start to feel more shame. So it's this constant, like, am I pulling myself towards shame or towards love and towards completeness and wholeness or towards lack and void and all the shit. So after I went through that January, I was like, man, like I could do this. I, I can be intentional in my life. I can, you know, build a, a blueprint for how I want to live, how I want to get myself to a place that feels good. And I, I don't have to be indulging in these things all the time. And so it just felt really good. And, and, I, and I went to sort of wrap up this chapter. I have a very good friend who got married the weekend after January ended. And I was like, okay, I'm going to a wedding. I don't think that's really an appropriate place to stay sober. I think it'd be really fun to drink some wine, let loose, dance with my friends, families and shit. It's just what you do at weddings, right? And so I drank a lot of wine that night, actually. And I, towards the end of the night, some friends were sitting in the back room doing some ketamine, having what I could tell was like a really nice bonding experience. I said, you know what? This is the time I'm going to, I'm going to re- you know, step back into this pool of drug use and, and see how it feels. I'm going to try to tiptoe 
And so I did some K and it felt great. I had a really nice experience, but it was still like, I, I felt some, I don't want to say resistance, but like hesitancy to do too much or to even really do it at all at first. And then I was like having an honest conversation, like, does this really feel good to do this right now? And it, it felt like it was the right thing to do. But afterwards I was like, okay, cool. I did that. And I'm going to go back to my life of rebuilding and, you know, being intentional with my days. And I didn't jump back to doing, I didn't jump back on the bandwagon or the train or whatever the fuck, uh, which a lot of the time happens with addiction is you're like, okay, cool. I had 30 days sober and then I have one drink and suddenly I'm like blackout drunk. You know, I really didn't want that to happen. I wanted to maintain this place of clarity and intention that I had built for myself by spending these 30 days sober. So it was, it was just really interesting to see how that played out that like, okay, I can do this and not have it take my life over completely like it had. Um, so that's where I'm at now. And I've, you know, I've gone to love burn since then I've gone to a few nights out here and there and I've indulged in some substances, but it has been a totally different experience than before January. I am being careful with dosing. I'm being careful with all of the things surrounding indulgence in drugs, which I hate that word. <laughs> I think we all kind of do, but it is what it is. Um, and I'm not, I'm not like going ape shit with, you know, any of these things. And I, I'm not vaping anymore. I have hit a vape pen at a party or a festival here and there when a friend has one and it's going around and it's like, I, I allow myself to have these moments that aren't like relapses. Cause it's not like I hit a nicotine vape and I'm like, Oh my God, I gotta go buy one. I need to do this all the time. It's like, I want to allow myself like freedom and flow in my life. I don't, I don't want to have these like rigid structures holding me to being a certain way all the time or like never doing this, always doing that. That doesn't feel that great to me. Um, certain things. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I, I'm not going to do heroin until I'm 80 maybe. Uh, and then I can see what all the hype's all about, but with something like hitting a nicotine vape, if I do that every once in a while, when I'm out with friends, like I'm okay with that, whatever that might mean or look like, I, I just accepted that. And I think that's kind of important with a lot of this stuff is it's easy to become attached to the idea of being a sober person. And then that's where it becomes a slippery slope when you step off that ledge and you're no longer a sober person, now it's like, okay, well, fuck it. I'll do everything all the time because I'm not a sober person anymore. It's like, no, I'm just a person. I'm just a guy who's like trying to be more intentional and mindful about the way I approach my life, trying to control myself a little more. And I'm trying to avoid things that are unhealthy and have better habits and behaviors overall. And, and I feel really good about where I'm at now with my habits and behaviors and my uh, very rare drinking and my drug use. And so it's been a really interesting experience to go through. And, and I, I mean, I recommend it to anyone who lives this sort of lifestyle that I do of, you know, going to parties and music events all the time, because I love the music. That's why I go. And I love the connection to the people around me and all that stuff too. But I really fucking love the music. And I want to be able to enhance those experiences every once in a while and not shame myself about it and not feel like it's part of some vicious cycle that I can't escape from. And I don't want it to feel like it's an escape from my life, but that it's an enhancement to an experience I'm having rather than I don't really don't want to deal with this. So I'm going to do this and I'm going to feel better all of a sudden. Um, so, yeah, that's kind of how it played out for me. And I, I still feel good about the fact that I was able to stick to it and 
And I shared afterwards, you know, like I was able to hold to this agreement. And I, I shared that just so anyone who happened to have been listening or following um, knew that I did, you know, what I said I was going to do, because that feels good to share and for other people to know how good that feels uh, to do that. And just so other people are, that are going through struggles, you know, it's possible to put an intention into your life and change whatever it is you're doing that you don't feel is right for you and listen to that inner voice rather than like suffering by that inner critic all the time. Listen to like the voice that's coming from the higher place rather than the lower place where the shadows lurk that we need to deal with and have conversations with. Can't avoid that. That's how we get to that fucked up place. But you know, when we know something's wrong in our life, we, we usually know it. <laughs> it's, it's not, it, it's easy to escape from that. And that's what I was doing. But my higher self was telling me like, dude, you shouldn't be living like this. You shouldn't be doing drugs all the time. You shouldn't be using ketamine almost every fucking day at home just because like you don't want to sit in silence and like deal with your life. Um, so yeah, that's uh, that's kind of where, where that all played out. Thank you. It's very inspiring when you actually were sharing this in live time in early January. I saw your stories and at that time I was you could say in a dark place but you sharing your truth and your intention and to have some willpower and to really step into it and sharing that publicly you know it found me at a time when that light was even too bright for me in that moment I was kind of in my victim darkness shit, but your sharing and your being shined a little bit of faith into my experience where I was feeling down. So I really appreciate you sharing your journey um, in live time, now here in reflection on this podcast episode. A lot of stuff came up as I was listening. Um, just going to touch on one little side note and then get into a deeper topic of conversation. You were mentioning how good it feels to actually do what you said you were going to do and how it gave you some fulfillment and confidence. And something I just want to share that I became aware of and maybe connects with someone out there who's listening is the other side of that. And that's me going to bed every night saying tomorrow's the day <laughs> that I'm not going to have that coffee and the cigarette until after I go to the gym or yoga. And then tomorrow comes and I don't do it. And then tomorrow's night comes and I'm writing out fantasies for tomorrow about how tomorrow's going to be the day where I don't have my morning cigarette and then I have the cigarette and what ends up happening is I lose trust in myself. I lose integrity because at night I'm really feeling like this is what I want tomorrow. And then when I'm not able to carry it out, I start losing faith and belief in my thoughts because I'm not acting in integrity. So I think it's really important and this is sort of a note i'm taking for myself right now is to just take like small steps to get in that winning frequency of like hey i said i was going to do this and i did it 
and that feels good and if you do that enough you start building some momentum and some strength and making some big changes that don't necessarily happen overnight it could be the accumulation of a lot of small efforts small winnable efforts so that came up for me listening and then what i want to sort of unpack and open up for you for us to discuss was uh, this concept around the substance use and you said that in your particular experience these substances aren't physically addicting it's not that you're having withdrawals from lack of ketamine it's more that the ketamine becomes the avenue to escape an internal feeling so rather than like it feels like rather than being pulled by the ketamine like this is what i need it's more like we're being pushed from an emotion or a feeling and then it's not an intentional i want to do this and i'm choosing from a centered space to do ketamine right now it's more like oh shit those unfamiliar feelings are coming up i guess you could call that myself you know like i'm <laughs> not watching youtube right now and listening to a podcast while doing the dishes like i'm <laughs> i'm still and now i'm starting to wondering about what i'm doing in my life and i'm feeling regrets about not being more intentional the past year and i know that the path to move on beyond this is to sit and to feel this but i could start that tomorrow right like let me just <laughs> go over here to that bag of ketamine so first of all does that resonate with you this yeah this push yeah. rather than a pull yeah 100 percent. like i'm sitting in a place that is extremely uncomfortable has a lot of anxiety and depression mixed in the pot and i feel like part of me is pushing myself away from that rather than dealing with it or, or just like being with it and being okay with that. Um, and so I'm being pushed towards whatever thing that might be available at the time to relieve that feeling that I'm having, those feelings that I'm having, which can be ketamine, it could be smoking a joint, it could be uh, watching some porn, it could be going on Instagram and look at stories of people's lives that I don't necessarily give a fuck about. So my question is during this month of intention um now you don't have those escapes readily available to you what was your experience like when you did find yourself in a moment of silence and these feelings show up that you know two months ago without thought there's a subconscious coping mechanism going on and you've already hit the ketamine and you feel good in that moment it's you've escaped the pain but now it's January and we're not doing those things. But I imagine that the pain and that feeling didn't stop. I'm sure that still showed up. So what was that like for you? How did it feel? And did you have more mindful escapes or did you sit with it more? Was it a little bit of both? What was it like? Um, it was a mix for sure. And full disclosure, I did not give up porn in January. Um, probably should have, uh, if I'm being honest about it now. Um, so I did mindlessly escape through porn and masturbation at various times. It wasn't like an all day, every day, and it was still 
not as frequent as all the other things combined would have been to any extent. So I cut back a lot overall on my mindless escapes. Um, but just want to be open and transparent that like that was still a struggle for me and still remains a struggle. And it's really fucking hard. And I'm sure a lot of people, uh, guys can relate to that. Yep. Um, trying really, really hard to be better about that. And the book you shared with me is helping. Um, but I was able to just be honest with myself about where I was, what I was dealing with, what I was feeling, being able to accept and forgive the part of myself that got me in these circumstances, because I believe fully and acceptance and forgiveness as principles to live by. Um, I believe in giving people chances to change, including myself. I believe in accepting the mistakes of the past, whether it be someone else's mistakes or mine, but it's not easy to embody those principles all the time. Uh, especially for me when dealing with myself and I'm in a dark place, I'm like, how the fuck am I so stupid that I let myself get here? I was on top of the world. I had plenty of money. I was financially, I was could do whatever the fuck I wanted. And now I'm like waking up at 6am to go serve coffee. Like what the fuck? But I really wanted to confront those demons and to be like, okay, that, that just is where my life is right now. Like I can't change the past. I can't, I, as much as I'd like to maybe uh, revert some of the actions I took previously, I can't do that. All I can do now is set the course moving forward. And I know that my higher self knows that all I can do now is move forward consciously and make good decisions right now, not tomorrow. <laughs> that was that came up a lot of this idea of tomorrow that had been coming up for me previously to January of like, okay, tomorrow I'm going to take a break from this or that. Or I'm going to like throw my nicotine vape away tomorrow or whatever the fuck tomorrow thing there was. I was definitely going through those motions and compiling shame on myself rather than every day waking up doing what I wanted to do. And, and that was staying away from these things and then going to bed feeling like, wow, another day where I didn't touch any of that shit. Like, good job me. I did it another day, another day, another day. So throughout the month, I started to like pull myself away from this like self-hatred and, and really self-sabotaging space that I was in into a more loving, you know, compassionate relationship with myself and where I was at and be like, you're still a guy that's capable of amazing stuff. Like you're still a very loving person. You have great relationships. You have you know, a lot of potential in life, like just because you made some mistakes and you might not love where you're at right now, your life's not over. There's more to come. There's, you know, you have plenty of all the stories we've heard of uh, people who in their thirties were living on a couch and then, you know, in their forties had built an empire or whatever the fuck, like it, that is available to me. I can rewrite my story in a way that I'll feel good about. Maybe I don't feel great about it right now. Maybe I won't feel great about it in a month from now, but if I write a page or a paragraph every day of my life in a year, two years, whenever the fuck, I will be like, wow, I'm so glad I started writing those pages when I did. And I really started to, you know, look at those feelings I was having as a catalyst for moving in the right direction rather than just like prison to stay in the same place that was comfortable in a weird fucked up way. Cause that's, how it gets, I think for, for me, it did for sure. It's like, yeah. okay, I'm just, this is the cycle that I'm in. I'm going to, you know, like for you wake up and have coffee and cigarette every day. And that's just what I'm doing. Fuck it. Instead of like, okay, is that really what I want to be doing? Is that, does that really feel good? And, and, and I was playing a lot with like 
delayed gratification versus instant gratification mm -hmm. because at the core of addiction, that's really what's going on. It's like, I want gratification now. I'm not feeling gratified by my life. I don't feel good about my life. So I want to feel something good right now to make that go away versus, well, if I spend this whole month keeping this agreement to myself, that's going to provide like true, deep joy and happiness and fulfillment. Like that shit is real. The dopamine hit from the porn or the fucking, you know, whatever from the nicotine or this, that, that stuff is so fleeting and so shallow and so meaningless. And it, it doesn't stick. It doesn't create this like deep sense in yourself that you've done a good thing and that you love yourself and that you care about your life. And so every day that I moved forward and was able to like start compiling these good feelings, it just, the energy I was experiencing shifted. I was like, man, I really like the direction I'm headed right now. This feels good. Like I know I'm doing what I need to be doing. Um, so instead of being pushed towards these escapes, I was starting to be pushed in the direction that I wanted to be pushing myself. I was pushed from up here instead of down here, you know? Um, so it was really interesting to see how that energy shifted and it didn't happen like the first few days or the first week, but like over the first or second week, I really noticed a shift in my inner state and how I was like, okay, I got this. Like I'm going to do the right thing. I'm going to move forward in my life in a way that I can be happy about and proud with. And I've really fucked up some things in the last year or two. And those are learning experiences and that's all they can be now. Like whatever consequences may have come, I have to deal with, I can't run away from them. And so, yeah, that's basically what happened is it just started feeling like I could sit with myself and be happy about who I was and where I was at rather than when I sit with myself, be like, Oh my God, <laughs> I've lost control of this ship completely. Um, and it really started to feel good just to be alive. And that's mm. really where the, the ultimate high is to just feel good being alive. Like that is such a wide, you know, universal principle of like, when you delay the gratification, when you do the things that you know, you need to do, you start to feel good just being alive. And that high is better than anything else. really. Yeah. Yeah. Beautifully said. I'm curious if you feel that you got closer to this core feeling that's coming from within us. I think the way you described it is just like not really being fulfilled or happy with where your life is at at the moment. And maybe what happens is clearly we don't like that discomfort so we lean on something for a distraction whether it's a cigarette or a podcast or a hit of ketamine pick your poison um and in that moment maybe it brings us presence and it gives us a release from this story that's been going on but then i think what happens is first of all it's factually fleeting like to your point, like that's, that's not an opinion. That's just like a fact, like it comes, <laughs> yeah, it comes and it goes. And then I think basically let's say that that inner feeling, that anxiety, that angst, let's just say that's the song of your soul. I don't know. And so the song comes on and I don't feel comfortable. So I go to smoke a cigarette, but then in due time, I have to return to the song. And I've already tried to run away from it. And in running away from it, I've carried out a behavior that I have an energetic charge of shame and guilt around. So now when I come back to the song, it's an even more uh, 
confusing space to really process what it is that this song is trying to express to me because half of my attention is still putting guilt on having that cigarette an hour ago. So did you have like a conscious witness experience of that song coming through more clearly as you let it play more or your attempts to turn the volume down were healthier and that was going for a run instead of you know using ketamine um did it over time over the course of that month did it change the way that you were able to listen to that song and to be with that song and to bring love to it rather than turn away from it really well put i like the the imagery that you use there and it hits so hard that idea of when we do the thing that we don't really want to do like really really want to do we accumulate this guilt and shame that we carry with us for however much time moving forward and it's it's so powerful like that drowns out the higher voice the 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 witness the observer that we can step into to take control of ourselves and our lives it, it instead of having this like you know angel here devil here when i have the shame in my mind i can't hear the angel so much it's like i'm, right. I'm in my i'm beating myself up about beat myself up about beat myself up and so instead of being able to just observe like okay i'm not in a happy place i'm not in like a great spot right now what can i do about it I'm partially there, but I'm also partially, man, I shouldn't have really done that thing before. Why did I do that thing before? Why did I do that bump? Why did I hit that blah, blah, blah? Which, I mean, I just, it did, I did it. So it doesn't matter. Like having those thoughts doesn't really, it, it's just the, the demon inside of us, like the ego, you know, fighting the bad fight basically and like keeping us farther away from ourselves and, and closer to this like dark place all the time. And I don't know that I necessarily consciously observed that difference at the time now like putting it in the frame that you are i feel like i had to have noticed that you know, whether consciously or subconsciously for sure um it it only makes sense that that's what was happening because i was able to find replacement behaviors you know instead of doing that bump i would do 20 push-ups or uh you know read five pages out of a book or that's a really powerful tool to use when trying to change your behavior is, you know, we need, when we want to change a system or replace a system, we need to have another system to replace it with. Um, this gets talked about a lot with like the structure of our society and like how fucked up the world is. It's like, well, sure, we could tear it all down, but what's that going to look like if we don't have a way to rebuild it that looks good, you know? And Charles Eisenstein is one of the few people, a remarkable guy who, actually has put a lot of thought and, and insight into how could we actually have some systems ready to go that if we do tear it all down, which we might need to, it might even be happening right now, that we have a structure to replace it with. So if you're having trouble with your, you know, your phone, instead of like every time you go to pull out your phone and do some bullshit, you have this like note in the back of your mind that's like, okay, I'm not doing that. I'm doing this other, I'm journaling one page instead or whatever it is. So because I didn't have this like guilt and shame compiling every single day, I had more of like this open space continuing to grow. I was able to see those moments more clearly and say, okay, if I do get an impulse, which again, I really honestly didn't get that many impulses to do the things that I said I wasn't going to do. I was really 
grateful that I didn't have a bigger struggle with that because I already was dealing with like, okay, what am I going to do moving forward? How am I going to write the script of my life after January um, so that I don't just end this month and then go back to what I was doing? Um, I, 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 yeah, I, I didn't get stuck in that shame and guilt. So I was able to just on a daily basis be like, okay, I'm today, this is what I'm going to do. This is the habits that I do want to enact and I'm going to stick to them. And I'm going to focus more on the things that bring me deep internal peace and joy rather than these momentary hits of dopamine or, you know, whatever happiness that I might feel. Um, so I, I think I kind of lost track of the point there, but, uh, but yeah, basically I was, I had a lot more clarity and open space rather than this like shadow looming, this cloud looming in my mind of, uh, not allowing me to see the light at the end of the tunnel, so to speak. Hmm. Yeah. I, I've been listening to Michael Singer. He has a podcast on Spotify. It's really good. I recommend everybody to check it out. And a lot of what he's talking about is just like the whole spiritual path is just letting go, letting go, letting go, letting go, letting go. <laughs> the untethered having, soul, right? Yeah. Having this just clear vessel to let experience and life flow through with newness and he talks about these samskaras. I may be saying that wrong, but essentially a samskara is a blockage. It's an impression from the past. So something happened to you in first grade and a girl was mean to you and now you're 35 years old and you talk to a girl at the cafe and she says something and it triggers you and you feel bad. That's a samskara getting activated. It's, it's something that we're holding on to um, that's getting triggered by life's experience. And I feel like I have all these blockages inside of me. And a few weeks ago, I had a ketamine experience and I hadn't used ketamine in quite a long time. So it was very strong. And in that moment, it felt so clear to me that like, wow, when I take ketamine, my samskaras, my blockages, they don't leave forever, but they deactivate. And for the next 45 minutes, the river inside of me is flowing at full force because the blockages of I'm not good enough or I'm lazy or whatever these stories I'm telling myself, the volume is off. And now just full openness is there. And I think part of the part of the story for me with drug use is that yeah, I'm realizing it more clearly now is that in those moments where these blockages are turned off, I'm able to see my fullness and mm. I'm able to see where my life is going and the service that I'm bringing to the world and to people. And there's no fear about it failing which is just like a false concept to begin with um there's no fear about not being good enough it's like i feel myself in that aligned state of bringing service and connecting and feeling fulfilled i see the vision and that's a nice feeling but i don't exactly historically speaking from observation of my life I don't exactly carry out the integration on day one, day two, day three. And so it's like I'm sitting there with this 
clear vision and even feeling of my potential but then in the day-to-day I don't have that plan or I'm not carrying it out or whatever that story is and then you start feeling that discomfort and it can be very addicting to want to go back to that space where the blockages don't exist now I think there's value in having an hour of no blockage life to see things more clearly but it's not the solution Um, that's not I don't think returning to that state is going to start to integrate these blockages to where they're not showing up all the time. It's just a temporary release. And then I feel that fullness and the potential and the excitement about life again. Um, So hearing you talk, it kind of makes me feel like the song of the soul comes on and I don't feel great, and there's an impulse for that short-term gratification to hit some ketamine and listen to music and feel open and free, but really doing the 20 push-ups or even the five minutes of journaling is taking a longer-term vote for a more sustainable path of wholeness to really integrate this stuff. And I always knew that, but hearing you share your experience and what I'm going through right now in my life, it's sort of sparked a deeper realization that like, hey, you get a lot of opportunities in every day to respond to that song when it shows up. And sometimes we put pressure on ourselves to be perfect and to have a perfect week where I'm always sitting with that feeling and tuning in. But really, just the next time it shows up, just giving yourself the permission to sit with it for 20 seconds or like three conscious breaths before you step into that numbing coping mechanism. Um, And these baby steps, I feel, really add up over time. But the, the point of all of this is coming closer to these feelings that are showing up within us i think it's in the book that we're reading by the way it's called men's work i forget the author's name but i'll I'll write it here when we put the video up uh he was quoting someone else but basically said like this is not about becoming perfect this is about becoming whole and Mm -hmm. becoming whole really meaning like accepting and integrating all of those parts and that hidden anger you have and the shadows that show up like that's really useful stuff that when we meet it and integrate it the right way and become whole that really becomes the source of the gifts that we're sharing and having an impact on other people's lives but i think it's easy to get sucked into this approach that i'm broken And I need to fix and become perfect. So I'm going to the gym for that reason. And I'm meditating for that reason. And it's really just another form of avoiding who I really am. And now with the awareness and the experience, my path is a little bit more focused on integrating and accepting all that is. And instead of trying to work out and make a lot of cool videos so that the external experience is so bright that then I can feel good about myself. It's kind of working in reverse and like, let's, let's really cultivate that relationship with ourselves and the content we create as an example coming from that place 
will be pure, authentic, and from a place of love rather than something I feel like I need to do to be able to receive love externally to then be able to accept it for myself internally. And yeah, I mean, it showed up in my relationship too. Like you meet somebody who you're vibing with and they embody a lot of the characteristics that I'm trying to evolve into and they can give you all the love in the world and in the beginning it's really inspiring and you feel tapped in and tuned in and the love from her never stopped even after we ended our relationship I still feel that love and support but in the nature of our relationship over time what showed up was my lack of love for myself and even the most beautiful woman her attempts of bringing me love to see my light and all of that while it's very helpful and I'm grateful and I carry that with me it's not enough like you have to really go on that path at least for my experience that's how it feels right now it's like you really got to go on that path and and love yourself and in order to do that you got to be able to face this song that's showing up it's a part of you it's directing us it's really coming from a place of love it's guiding us because we're maybe not in alignment with what we're really here to do so that anxiety and that depression really serves a purpose but uh befriending it and sitting with it and allowing it uh, for whatever reason there's so much resistance that comes with that and in the moment it feels easier to just escape it but i can say with the utmost certainty zooming out now looking at the last year two years three years four years like it's not worth it it's it is worth it to to sit with those feelings and to really open up to to feeling it and moving forward from that point so that was just a little bit of a ramble but i felt a soft spot in my heart and a bit of compassion for myself because I'm so in my head and logically analyzing the way that my life is going out and I'm not I'm not happy with myself right now and I want to use this opportunity to be a little bit softer and remove some of that critical um, and it's not critical from a loving place it's critical from a a shameful place or like you should have done better you're not doing good enough um, so I do want to make changes in my life but I want it to come from a wholesome place uh, rather than feeling like I need to fix myself because I'm broken so mm-hmm. you've you've inspired me to get a clear head, you know, um, and just get a few small victories and clear some of the noise so that when the song does come on, like I can actually give it the space that it's been asking for, for my whole life. Amen to that. Uh, and a couple of things come up, uh, really immediately for me at the end of that one is, um, there's a book, I've been reading, uh, it's by Oprah Winfrey and another guy who's a psychologist and deals a lot with childhood trauma. And I've 
I forget the guy's name, but um, the book is called What Happened to You. And it's all about reframing this idea that there's something wrong with us and to some things have happened to us in our lives that have created, you know, impact points, traumas, uh, mostly just trauma that we carry. And, and it's easy to look at it through this lens of like, oh man, there's something wrong with me. You know, like I was saying before, like I was in this place in my life where I'm not doing the things I want to do. I'm not happy with where my life is what the fuck is wrong with me? And that is a really, it's a really negative way to frame that. It's a really, it just adds more shame and, and victimhood to the, to the whole equation, makes you feel worse. Instead of, okay, what happened to me? What may have happened to me that led to me making those less than optimal decisions? And how can I see that as part of this picture and be more compassionate towards myself because I see that like, oh, wow, my parents never taught me financial literacy. I didn't have examples in my youth of how to be responsible with money. So throughout the course of my adulthood, the times when I have had money, I never had leadership and guidance and how to make that a sustainable place to live. I, <laughs> I had no idea how to you know invest money when I had it or or figure out strategies to, you know, make my money work for me or all these various ways that when you make a million dollars, you might be able to put yourself in a good position to sustain a financially free or comfortable life. I didn't have those tools. I didn't have those resources and I could have sought them out independently, but because I didn't have guidance as a kid or as a young adult about how to be responsible with money, how to be smart with money, I, I made poor decisions when I have had money and and that's okay. And it makes sense. I, I didn't have the the tools and knowledge that I may have needed to make better decisions. And that is not something that's wrong with me. It's just part of my story. And so I, I found that book really beautiful to read and I'm not all the way through it yet, but I love the framing that they use and the psychologist uses to speak to people in a more compassionate way and get them to have more loving conversations with themselves about the things that we do that we think are wrong or the ways that we think we are fucked up. Um, a lot of the time, if not all the time, it's related to something that happened in our lives. And a lot of the time we had no control over those circumstances. Um, so I wanted to share that. And then two, uh, I saw a clip of Peter Atia on a podcast yesterday, and he was talking about how the most powerful tool in his life has been to speak to himself the way that he would speak to his best friend in these internal dialogue circumstances. So when we're in a place of feeling super ashamed of ourselves, feeling like, what the fuck are you doing? Why did you do that? And I don't know, maybe other people don't have those conversations with themselves, but I have a feeling they do. And in those moments where we might be really beating ourselves up or having this really brutal conversation in our head, how might we have that conversation if it was with our best friend or the person we love the most in the world? It would probably look a lot different and sound a lot different and carry a much different energetic charge because we don't want to make that person feel worse. We want to help that person and support that person and love and guide that person towards a better place. So we would speak to them with much greater compassion, a lot more grace, a lot more forgiveness, a lot more acceptance, all the things that nurture and, and cultivate a, a more whole feeling within a person. And so I'm really going to start to try to play with that of when I get in a little bit of a 
what the fuck are you doing type spot. It's like, would I talk to my best friend like that? No, right. I'd be like, hey man, I feel like you're kind of maybe making some mistakes here. Or you made a poor decision here, but like, can we talk about it? Or how are you feeling about it? Like, what do you think led you to that decision? How might we support you in making better decisions moving forward? And and that really spoke to me because that guy's a fucking gangster and I just, whatever he's doing, I think it's working. So, so yeah, I wanted to share those two things because they felt really intertwined there. You know, that's something I've thought about for a few years now. That's where the whole cook for yourself, like you love yourself came yep. from. It's like I cook eggs for myself at home and I just, whatever, <laughs> it's real quick, it's easy, whatever. But if like my best friend is coming and I haven't seen him in four years and I'm doing like a Michelin star presentation. Yeah. (laughs) I'm just like putting love into it. Um, and to the Peter Atia's point about speaking to yourself, like you would your best friend, like I know that tool and the, the, the thing that boggles my mind is like seemingly making a conscious choice in those moments to not take that path and to stick to the internal self-hate speak. And Joe Dispenza talks a lot about how we're attached to what we know. And people, in a twisted way, you alluded to this earlier, in a twisted way, people would rather feel safe in anxiety and discomfort because it's familiar than to drop that and step into the unknown where there's love and all types of openness and stuff like we have this attachment to what we know and what feels safe there um having said that i still like hearing the refreshment about the concept of speaking to yourself like you would a friend like you can try it in in any moment and it's true like when i think about talking to a friend who's having a hard time uh, depending on the nature of our relationship but if it's someone that i'm very close to uh, my approach isn't to escape it or to just pretend like things are great it's to help provide companionship to be able to process and accept the heaviness of whatever it is you're going through and then what's the next steps of bringing light you know maybe it's not running four miles today but maybe I can help you take three steps and really what it is is like okay what's going on like let's really give space to what's going on and then what's a realistic way to bring some positivity into the situation when it's the self-talk we don't even get halfway there Like we don't even allow the fully what's going on. It's like the panic, the sirens are going off. All the old shit is coming up. Um, So I think there's a lot of value in being able to sort of recognize when you're in that downward spiral of self-hate talk and just play a game, right? I like games, like play the game and for one minute, give yourself the type of energy that you would give a best friend in that moment and just see how it feels. I think for me, I get so caught up in the black and white, like always live this way that it feels daunting, but a way to kind of gamify it and just say, Hey, for the next 
two minutes, I'm going to play this game and I'm really going to try it. And I'm going to give myself the love that I would give to fish or to Max or to my dad and just see where that takes you. But it's a great, great, great framework to, to be kinder to yourself. And that's a lot of what is at the root of this whole conversation about addiction and suffering is I think a lot of that can be improved as a strong word, but nurtured with some more kindness for ourselves. Yeah, absolutely. And yeah, it's like if I were to be watching a movie where I'm the main character of that movie, I want to be observing a person that I'm like, wow, I'd love to be more like that person. That's the type of person that I aspire to be. And and he's doing the, the stuff that I would love to be doing. And if I'm doing things like sitting in my room, fucking doing ketamine and wasting my day, like I'm not going to be looking at that movie. Like, wow, this is a person I want to be like, and I'm inspired by. I, and I, it, again, all of this should be underlined with the fact that it's really hard to break habits. We are conditioned creatures that uh, a lot of the time it's really fucking easy to talk about this stuff and a lot harder to actually do it <clears throat> but that's why we have tools and that's why every little bit counts but like that's how I'm trying to look at myself now is I'm the main character in the movie of my life and if I step out and zoom out and look at myself like how do I feel about who I am and what I'm doing is it the type of person that I want to be like and that I think other people would be like wow like this is inspirational shit or is it a person where it's like, man, like something's, something's really going on. Like this is, this person's in mm. pain. This person's like really not headed in a healthy or sustainable yeah. direction. So I'm really trying to like keep that lens on as I move forward in my life. And another thing that comes up there is like on this note of habits and, and conditioning, uh, kind of a relatable anecdote I feel to this sort of conversation is I was recently working at a coffee shop and I had been working for this uh, same restaurant group for like six months. So on the POS system, you have a login number. It's how you reg uh, log in to register transactions or do anything in the system. And you have your personal code that you use to log in. So over the course of six months, I had used my same code to log in and register uh, transactions like, I don't know, thousands of times. And so that habitually was like, a second nature thing in my mind, right? Like, I don't even have to, what's my number? That doesn't even come to the equation. I know it. So um, a few weeks ago, before I quit my job, I was dealing with a circumstance where the manager wanted me to use a different login to register transactions to sort of streamline everything. And the details aren't that important, but he wanted me to use a different number to log in and, and register things. And I totally understood that. And it made sense why he wanted me to do it. Um, so in an intentional, clear space, I was like, oh yeah, like that's a better system. But when I'm going through the motions and I'm just like using my automatic brain instead of my like zoomed out intentional brain, I'm going to, by nature of my conditioning, log in with the same code that I've typed in a thousand or 10,000 times, because that's just like this thing that I've, you know, adopted as a habit. And so there was a few days when he, he, he like got a little carried away with how serious it was, but he got on to me about how I wasn't logging in with this other code and how I was like, dude, you need to log in with this other thing and do this. And I was like, I know what you're saying and I agree, but please try to understand that like, there's been a thousand other times previous to right now when I've done this other thing and 
in the moment of ringing things up in a busy time, especially, you don't necessarily zoom out to think like, oh, what code am I supposed to use right now in this moment? So I was trying to like help him be a little more understanding and empathetic, but also because I want to be solutions oriented and I want to develop tools to do the right thing in my life and to do the thing that is needed in any moment. I was like, all right, well, this is diff more difficult than he seems to understand, but what can I do about it? You know, like what can I maybe do to help myself make the better decision in those moments? It's like put a sticky note on the fucking computer, right? Like right there in front of me, like use code blah, 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 blah to log in. So that's what I did. I put a little sticky note and it like completely solves the problem. And sure, I could have spent a few more days like being intentional with each time I logged in and be like, okay, this is how I'm doing this now. But I developed a tool to change the system I was conditionally, habitually uh, embodying. So I think these tools are so important. Like it's so easy to just say, yeah, that's the right thing to do. I should get up, go for a run, drink my coffee after an hour and a half, do this, that, and the other thing. But maybe sometimes we need like hacks or tools that actually help, <coughs> excuse me, support us in those shifts that can mm. be really, really difficult to make in our lifestyle and our behaviors. So uh, there's actually this book called The Tools by um, Phil Stutz, I think his name is, the guy who was, uh, Jonah Hill made a documentary about his uh, experience with therapy. It's a fucking great documentary. It's called Stutz, I believe. Uh, I forget which platform. Phenomenal documentary. Uh, Jonah Hill really opened up about his therapeutic process. And his therapist is very big on actionable, like tangible advice and assistance. Um, there's a lot in the world of therapy that involves just like holding space and allowing people to air out their thoughts and feelings and maybe come to a greater place of clarity around certain parts of their lives. And that has its value. But for someone who might even have people in their life that can hold that space for them, there's need for actual things you can do to make these changes easier. And so uh, they released a book about these actual tools that you can use to make changes in your behavior. And so I'm just really big right now on tools rather than just talking about things. Um, I think both have value and like this conversation is very important on its own, but I, I encourage people to find tools that work for them and it can be a lot of different things, but it's, it, don't feel bad if you're having a hard time making changes in your life. Uh, I I think it's easy to listen to conversations like this or like clips on TikTok or whatever the fuck. It's like, oh, well, do this and do that and your life will be perfect. Okay, cool. That sounds great. But like, I'm just a human who's like got a lot going on and it's complex and it might not be so easy as watching a fucking TikTok to like overhaul my entire lifestyle. So there are tools out there. And so I, I just felt like that was a relatable experience that I had had of like, okay, I know I need to make this change and it might happen over time, but like, can I come up with an actual tool to use to make that change more effectively? So mm. I encourage, I encourage people to try to find those tools. Totally. James Clear is the author of Atomic Habits. And one of his key points is that the quote is something along the lines of like, people don't rise to the goals that they set, they fall to the systems that they have in place. Mm, mm. So at the start of the season, basketball season, every team's goal is to win the championship. 
but only one of those teams actually wins the champion. They all had that goal. So like <laughs> I'm sitting here with this goal of feeling whole and meditating 10 times a day and doing this and doing that. But really the system, which you're referring to as the tools here, um, are a necessary, I think they're both important. Like you want to know where you want to be, but if you don't have a good system in place and you don't have tools to help you along the way, there's going to be a lot of tripping and falling, you know, you'll, you'll get to where you're going, <laughs> but there's, let's be open to receiving help and tools. And one other thing I wanted to mention, we'll wrap it up here in a moment, but I like how you were talking about watching the movie of yourself and how does that feel as kind of the reverse of a game that I play. And that game is essentially what would movie character Lee do in this moment? And uh, an example of where it showed up recently was like, there's this art teacher that I wasn't paying for his classes. I didn't want to go anymore. But I wasn't really being clear that, like, I don't want your service anymore. I'm not paying. Thank you. Goodbye. It was more like, oh, maybe I'll be back next month. You know, like, I didn't want to be firm with the guy. I wasn't feeling comfortable standing in my truth. And I sort of zoomed out in that moment. And I was like, what would the movie character version of yourself do in this scenario? And that's the first part. So cool. That's who you want to be. But the even more important part for me is what's stopping you? Because mm. mm. it's easy to sit there and say like, oh, I want to speak my truth clearly to this guy. But if you really explore the gap between where you're at and where you want to be, that's where I think a lot of awareness around some of the deeper blockages comes up. Because it's a simple thing. I'm just telling this guy I'm done with his course, but I'm having a real hard time communicating that and keeping a calm nervous system there's mm. a lot to explore there um and discovering why you're not living the dream life that you want to live it's available to us so yeah it's a it's a little game and perspective that's helped me in certain moments to recognize like who's the guy who's the man i want to be and can i do that can i step towards that and if not like let's have an honest assessment of what's getting in the way of, of living that life of integrity that you desire deep down. Mm. Yeah, that's, that's great. Uh, there's tons to explore in the space between and uh, a lot of parts of life, really. Uh, and that, that speaks to my personal experience um, in the sense that like I said, I quit this job recently. It wasn't really meeting my needs and there was other complications involved, but, uh, I worked at Best Buy like many, many years ago. And at one point I was like, fuck this shit. <laughs> I do not want to work here anymore. And my way of quitting was to stop showing up and to just cut it off and not and be like, yeah, that's it. I'm done here. And not, you know, worried about how I'm going to handle it or anything. I just stop going. Right. That's yep. how you quit. Right. <laughs> and I, I was very young and, and, and immature and I didn't understand a lot of things that I might now. But recently when I quit this job, I was very conscious of how I wanted to handle that and how I wanted to go about quitting a job. And I think that that experience is, is relatable to a lot of other experiences in life where we have to have a difficult conversation and we know what's right for us. We know what's true. 
But for some reason, there's this like energetic charge that makes our nervous system very uncomfortable, brings up a lot of anxiety. It's like, how, how do we get around this instead of how do we just confront this honestly? And the way it, this just is what it is. There's nothing right or wrong about it. I just don't want to work here anymore. That's not what's right for me. And I need to communicate that to the manager. And in Miami, especially, it's people are notorious for like just not showing up or like, you know, no call, no show, ghosting, whatever the fuck. The, our, one of our partnered restaurants actually had a manager that was going to open the place, like a really nice place. And he seemed great. And then he just stopped showing up like two weeks before they're supposed to open. And it's like, what the fuck's going on here? Like, where's the integrity? And so I, after observing a lot of these um, uh, occurrences, I was like, man, I really want to do this the right way and like speak with honesty and integrity to my truth and acknowledge what it is, you know? So I had the conversation with my manager. I said, look, this is not what I need right now. It's not, you know, doing it for me. I want to give you a heads up. So you have time to find a replacement. It's very important in the restaurant industry. I have friends from Europe that are like, if you didn't show up out of nowhere, like people would hunt you down and hurt you. Cause it's like really fucked up. If you're, especially a busy place, like yeah. what are they going to do the next day? You know? Um, so I was like, no, I want to do this right. I want to approach it with maturity. And so I had the conversation and it wasn't easy, but it also wasn't that hard. Cause as I was having the conversation, I was like, this is true. This is me being true and authentic to my needs and what is real and, and right for my life. And there's nothing better than that. Like that is the, the ultimate thing is like our real authentic truth. So I thought it was interesting to mention that because it like relates so much to what you're saying about how these moments come up all the time where we need to have a difficult conversation with a lover, a boss, a friend, whatever. And it's so easy to find escape routes and to tiptoe or beat around the bush or whatever, but it will always come back to bite you in the ass in some way or another, whether you feel ashamed of how you approached it, whether you didn't gain the lesson and experience and strength from doing it the right way that you might carry into another difficult experience to building resentment in a relationship that matters to you. Um, and in my case, like I thought my manager was kind of an asshole, honestly, but I don't get a lot out of creating negativity between he and I, um, I don't know that I'll get a lot of benefit out of maintaining a positive relationship with this guy, but let's say six months from now, I decide uh, this restaurant group opens a cool place and I want to get a job there. And for whatever reason, if I had tension with this guy, that might seep into my experience of getting a job at this new spot or like maintaining peace in my overall dynamic with this restaurant group. Like there's a lot of different ways where it could negatively impact me to you know, create tension with this person versus it doesn't take much away to create a positive dynamic, even though my ego is like, Oh, you should really tell him how you feel. It's like, for what, you know, like, what does that really accomplish? So I thought that was a really interesting experience. Yeah. I think owning your truth and communicating it, uh, in this case of the restaurant or for me with the art teacher, to me, that's closing the ceremony. Like I started a relationship, I entered something intentionally, it's no longer serving me. Like a man, like a respectful human, I want to communicate my truth and close this ceremony. But what ended up happening is a perfect example for what you're describing. I wasn't clear with this guy, I just sort of like ghosted a little bit. Mm -hmm. 
five days later, I'm at the grocery store and I'm not in the best mental space. I'm listening to music to kind of escape myself. So I'm like calm, but not settled. And I turn the aisle and I see this guy, the teacher. And all of a sudden, I'm not having a panic attack, but relative to a calm nervous system, I'm super heightened and anxious. And now I turn away. And like, I need the peanut butter that's over there. And now I'm turning, (laughs) turning away because there's this open ceremony that I haven't closed. And instead of owning my truth and expressing, hey, I'm done with this, now there's like this lingering energy that's holding real estate in my head. So like anytime I saw this guy in town, I had this jolt of unpleasant energy show up and it wasn't so much that he was a unpleasant person it was just that i hadn't closed the ceremony i hadn't honored my truth and now i'm scared to talk to him because he's going to ask me if i'm going to class next week and i don't want to go blah 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 so it's like we avoid the difficult conversation but ultimately it just ends up bringing more pain and energy in the long run rather than just like being clear with how you feel and then communicating that. So I think it's a great space for me to practice stepping into my wholeness more is recognizing these moments when a friend invites me to a birthday party and I just don't want to go in my truth, but I give some floaty, yeah, maybe send me a text on the day of. Um, That's something I'm working on is being a little bit stronger and what my truth is and man I'll tell you that is a full full long process and it showed up in my relationship as well just sort of not being in touch with myself and then having these people pleasing tendencies that show up to keep the boat floating because I don't want to be abandoned no like I'll do whatever to keep it smooth sailing Uh, but in that process I realize now that I'm not tuning into what's true for me. I'm putting other people first. And while that's in some ways a beautiful characteristic to be thoughtful and caring of other people, um, I'm recognizing that I'm never going to have a sustainable, healthy, evolving relationship on that level if I'm not able to feel strong in connecting with my truth and then owning it and sharing it. So that's, I feel like kind of a child in that sense. And I'm, I'm accepting that. And with this awareness and, you know, the relationship brought so many gifts that I can now start to work on with more clear intention. But that's a big one is difficult conversations and really being clear in how you feel and what your decision is and then just putting it out there and and moving forward without this fear of not being loved and accepted by everyone. Mm -hmm. And it it just adds to that pile of good moves, (laughs) like the, the, the right plays if we're playing chess in life, right? Like every move that we make accumulatively gets us to that checkmate point, which we'll probably never get to checkmate in life. (laughs) That might not be the, the goal or the purpose or even attainable, but if we don't make those first moves to get ourselves in a position to 
get the position in life or the game that we want to be, then we can't get there at all. And so each little move of each little piece that might seem inconsequential at the time becomes part of that bigger picture of like, okay, now I'm in a place on the board of my chess game of life that I'm yeah. like, sick, look what I did, you know, like yeah. look how, look how, where my king is at. Like I am the king of my life now because I moved the pawns and they were yeah. little and they didn't mean much, but like they supported me in my moving towards owning myself fully. And so it's just like every, and that this whole conversation, like the whole thing with breaking this loop of addictive uh, habits was like, every little bit of myself moving in the right direction is pushing myself in that direction. Like even if it's a little bit, it counts for something. And so every little thing we do, and I'm, I'm not doing everything right right now necessarily, but I'm doing a lot of things right. And I feel really good about the movement that I'm taking. And if I'm moving more in the right direction than the wrong direction, I'm still moving in the right direction. It's a, you know, it's a checks and balances game. So as long as we're, in some moving in the right direction, I think that we'll be okay and things will end up the way that we really want them to. And we have to just forgive ourselves if we slip up a little bit or that we make a, a play that's like, oh, that wasn't the right play. It's like, okay, okay, cool. But how do we make the right play the next time we move a piece? You know, what is the next proper move now based on what we did instead of, well, let's just give up on the game entirely. It's like, no, we might still be able to win this. You know, don't give up. You could still win. Man, I really like that chess analogy. Thanks, it just came out of nowhere. Yeah, sometimes the best ones do. But it, it's, a, you know, it's that reminder that this is a, a cumulative process and there's momentum and it takes time. And sometimes the brain is trying to move like the queen across the whole board. Um, but really it's those baby steps that the pawns are taking that maybe don't get as celebrated as getting a thousand views or likes on your podcast, but really it's all a part of that movement and becoming whole. So I really appreciate you and thank you for reaching out to me to talk about this topic. Um, honestly, I was in a space where I didn't want to record because maybe my energy will be better next week kind of thing. But, tomorrow. Yeah, tomorrow. But connecting with you is always a safe space for me. And just getting on here and sitting down and pressing record uh, broke a loop for me in a way. And this was this was a pawn move for sure. And I really appreciate it. And I'm grateful to have you in my life and to have you as a part of this army of love movement to share awareness um, with the intention of bringing more love into everyone's lives. And you do a great job of that in my life and from my perspective as a human for society as whole. So thank you for being you and thanks for coming on here and, and opening up about your experience. You're welcome. It's a pleasure as always. Um, I, you know, I could echo all the same sentiments. Uh, appreciate you a lot as a brother. And like I mentioned to you pretty recently, like, I don't think a lot of people have uh, necessarily someone they can open up to about these things in life. And that's why I think it's important that we share this 
publicly. So if someone doesn't feel like they have someone to open up to or relate to about this stuff, it's like, we're here, like we're, we're here for you. You know, we're here for each other, but we're, I'm here for whoever the fuck wants to open up about whatever, or hear me open up about my shit. It's every little bit of this counts. And so thank you for facilitating this. And, uh, definitely helps me to speak these things out and like, you know, getting some clarity about where I'm at and, I feel even more confident about the direction I'm moving now after having this conversation. So this was great. And uh, I look forward to the next one. There's always more to talk about. Always more to talk about. It's a never ending process. So let's do our best to enjoy the ride. Brother, I love you so much. Thank you for coming on here and we'll chat soon. Sounds good. Peace out, homie.